0: Hello and welcome to another episode of the Yang Gang Podcast. We're your hosts, Connor Maybon and Evan Schaub. With us today is our guest, Tom Jeffrey. Uh, we, look forward to, we look forward to interviewing you and getting some questions and learning more about uh, your involvement in the Andrew Yang campaign. Um, and, but before we begin, we would like to thank our listeners for joining in as always. Um, and we will have the episode up shortly after recording so we look forward to you guys uh giving us your comments questions and uh yeah we'll go from there but tom thank you again for joining us um
1: you want to yeah, just give a little, to be here.
0: yeah you want to give a little bit of an introduction of yourself
1: yeah so hi everybody my name's tom and i'm a former venture for america fellow turned full-time campaign worker uh i in in the South Carolina area so I've had the luxury of not only working on the ground and building out yang gangs and canvassing and phone banking but doing it in a early primary state where every bit of work we do we do has major tangible impact Uh, so a little I guess just a little bit of background about me so we can uh, all get on the same page here Uh, I grew up in South Carolina, went off to school in uh, Tennessee, went to Vanderbilt, uh, graduated, had this idea that I was going to design all these different social programs, uh, worked in medical education briefly, just bounced around, didn't really know what I wanted to do. And then I got connected by a former mentor of mine to this program called Venture for America. And they said, We want to take you because you're entrepreneurially minded. You've got this sense of uh, this desire to reach out and connect to people and design socially focused programs. Let's teach you how to do that. And so I applied, I joined and had the immense honor of getting onboarded to Venture for America during the very last month that Andrew was the CEO. So I got to work with him, get to Meet him personally several times and uh, really pick his brain about things before he launched the campaign, and then spent two years doing phenomenal, uh, really engaging prison reentry work down in New Orleans.
0: That's very nice. Yeah, that was that was our. our that was, yeah, that was uh, one of my questions. I know was um, was your how did you come across? Uh, Andrew Yang, I was curious if I didn't know if you were working in the pre- prison reentry um, system, and that's how you got introduced to the UBI, or if it was the Venture for America first, which then led to
1: the um, work in the prison reentry. Um, but mm-hmm. yeah, so it was it was through Venture for America, and mm-hmm. uh, what absolutely blew me away, and one of the reasons why I've uh, been a wholehearted believer in Andrew, his, his campaign and his messaging is that during that last month that he was there, uh, he didn't tell us that he was debating a presidential run, but he was at that same time doing all of his research on automation. He was extremely interested in, uh, the impact it was going to have on society. And you could really tell that as much as he loved the venture for America program, he was focused on something bigger. And yet, he took time to meet with us. There were 180 of us getting started, and he took the time to meet with every single person for 30 minutes. I had the luxury of uh, really connecting with them, and we met several times throughout the the onboarding process. But yeah, he's he was just a down-to-earth guy, and the same way I see him talk in debates was the same way I saw him talk years ago with. Uh, With myself and the other fellows.
2: Yeah, so you did a reddit AMA that I thought was very interesting and that's kind of um, Kind of how we actually got introduced to each other um, to some extent and One of the things that you talked about in that reddit AMA is that you felt that UBI could help from a criminal justice perspective Can you talk a little bit more about that?
1: Oh, absolutely Uh, the The concept of a UBI is inherently uh, designed to help those that are more socioeconomically disadvantaged. And because we're in America, and honestly, just because we're in a place with a history as large as ours, it tends to be that there are racial biases and uh, inherent criminal justice biases that impact those socioeconomic groups more. And what that means is that as someone is trying to transition out of prison, their opportunity for success is almost directly linked to their socioeconomic status. It's the same reason why people see uh, wealthy people not going into the system at all. It's one of the same things that applies to people as they're making that transition out. So a perfect example would be uh, the actual Debt, the actual process of going through the justice system, even if it's for something like marijuana possession, which we know Andrew believes should be legalized because he understands it's a justice issue. If someone gets arrested and convicted for marijuana possession, the charges of going through the judicial system are enormous. It's usually in the sums of thousands of dollars and at on average in the state of Louisiana, most people walk out of prison with about $3,200 in debt because of that. It's not including all the other debt. It's not including, say, child care payments that were accruing while they were behind bars. It's this, just the process of going through the system, which is inherently racially biased. That right there is enough to, uh, to build up an enormous debt. And so UBI is, a it's a, it's a very important way for us to engage and support those populations.
0: And it's a, it's a complete um, 360 difference of the this, this system that's been in place for decades. And, it, and the current system is just simply too taxing on not only individuals, but on the system itself. Slows it yeah. down. Uh, bogs it down, and what I, I've said it multiple times on the podcast. What really attracted me to Andrew Yang was his just—he cuts through when he when he speaks about like his ideas or his policy ideas or where solutions need to be kind of targeted. It's just it it, it it's very much like a um, leaning like a very lean machine kind of thing. He wants to cut down a lot of that stuff that's been slowing the system down and help modernize it. Or as he likes to say, being like a 21st century candidate, which I think we all, three, three of us believe that very much.
1: Absolutely, a lot of it has to do with the numbers, um, which I remember when I first started doing the work with uh, uh, down in New Orleans and doing all this prison reentry piece, it was just a few months after the state of Louisiana released this massive justice reinvestment report. They'd had people working for months on the ground doing uh, quantitative and qualitative analyses of the uh, various prisons and jails throughout the state. And they made this incredible recommendation saying, our state right now is the most incarcerated place in the entire world. How do we trim this number? How do we make sure we're not spending enormous amounts of money that burdens, everybody in the state. How do we slow down this mass incarceration? And they found that you could get billions of dollars in savings over the course of several years. Um, They, the potential to save 260 million within just, I think, three years of reducing the prison sentence uh, and the prison bed use by 30% could save hundreds of millions of dollars right away. That's, that type of trimming the fat, that type of focusing on the numbers and the savings didn't seem to happen. And it finally is starting to. And that, that mindset is very similar to the, the one that I've seen Andrew pick up.
2: Those are the interesting things I think about the freedom dividend specifically that a lot of critics I don't necessarily think, understand or think about because they just see a large number Mm-hmm. and say how are we going to fund this but a lot of this will come back in on the flip side of it in terms of things that we don't have to spend money on anymore. One of your direct quotes here from this Reddit AMA is that financial struggles are often the biggest drivers for illegal activity and lower income communities are most impacted by entrenched biases in the criminal justice system. This is exactly what you're talking about. Um, so. I guess the question that I had is, is what other than the Freedom Dividend and just voting for Andrew Yang, what are some things that people can kind of go out there and do that can help communities um, or like help, you know, individuals like yourself help these people?
1: And in terms of voting or in campaigning or more daily involvement?
2: I would say both
1: uh so the the first is talking with uh, local business leaders. a lot of uh, a lot of us know someone that owns a, a main Street business or uh, a local contractor, someone that you know we're connected through through family, friends, churches, uh, community organizations, whatever. And most people that are employers, tend to run these background checks, but a lot of them don't realize that there are a lot of challenges to actually running it properly. Uh, For example, let's say someone gets arrested, uh, maybe it's for some kind of, well, we'll use the possession example again. Someone gets arrested uh, for marijuana possession, and the the jury decides they don't want to convict. So that person is not guilty, but they now have an arrest record that will show up on a background check and an employer that's not properly trained in that can actually turn away people for showing up or flagging anything on their background checks. So getting people to go out and talk with their business leaders and encourage them that hiring someone with a background doesn't mean that they're a criminal. And starting to shift that mindset is extremely important. It's one of the, ra- the, the main reasons why I also tell people to shift away from the idea of using the word felon or criminal. Uh, mm-hmm. Usually, most people in the system, the vast majority, 80% plus, are nonviolent, low-level drug offenders. And when that's the, the, the reason someone's behind bars, to treat them as a person who did something that happened to be against the law at that time, and lead with more, more of a person-focused approach. And um, correct
0: me if I'm wrong. I believe um, you had mentioned that it was in um, Louisiana where they were successful in in banning the box. Is is that correct? Mm-hmm.
1: So the, a number a number of cities across the U.S. have actively worked to ban the box. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, can you expand upon that a little bit? Um, is that an area that you are familiar with?
1: Yeah. So the main idea of banning the box, it's, uh, it's very similar to, uh, applying for college in many ways where they, when someone applies to college, they try to be needs blind. So they don't look at someone's, uh, income or socioeconomic status when they're applying. They only look at their credentials. And once that person is accepted, they then go through and look at their finances to see, okay, how do we just, we want you, we realize you've qualified. How do we make this work? Uh, it's the same thing with a band the box policy where someone initially applies and there is no box for them to check that says, uh, I have been formally convicted of a crime or I have been formally, uh, imprisoned for a crime that's not available and so they're only judged on their merits now there are some cities that say once we've extended an invitation we will then go through and check someone to see uh what their record is and then come to a decision based on that which is still a step forward because it makes it a conversation rather than a rapid denial right so it it just opens up the candidate
0: is Andrew Yang currently trying to mend that on a on a uh, national level to get more and more people on board with that? Is he actively campaigning? Uh,
1: so he's uh, he's vocalized support for ban the box. It's not a active campaign point because it's something that uh, most major cities are trending towards anyway. Uh, what he's really pushed for that I've noticed has been a big benefit within the criminal justice community is that idea of marijuana legalization. And specifically the fact that he wants to, uh, pardon all people currently convicted and retroactively pardon all those who have been convicted of possession charges. Uh, that's easily the most, uh, monumental justice proposal I've seen him do. Talk about trimming the fat, huh? That's (laughs) enormously so. And yeah, it, it's uh, the beauty of it is right now we're at this very unique position where people across the aisle are <laughs> actually interested in justice reform. And it's obviously this is the, the broadest of strokes and people have across the aisle have very different reasons um, and individual reasons for why they're involved. But on the left, yeah, that's
0: huge, though. That's, that's huge, though, is the fact that this is a across the aisle thing. Where both, both sides are genuinely concerned about something like this, which has definitely been bogging our system and slowing our, our um, bureaucracy down.
2: And I think oh, completely. it's beneficial, too, in a number of ways, kind of like the other issue that I was talking about, is that each inmate costs the average taxpayers about $31,000 per year. So if you can get all these people who have been what is pretty much wrongly incarcerated out of jail, that's another burden that is now off the shoulders of the taxpayers. Um, Taking this in a different direction, I wanted to ask you more about your experience with Venture for America. Um, So I know they're in, I mean, they're in a bunch of different cities all around the country. Um, can you talk a little bit more about your experience for those who are listening, who might not kind of know um, what it's like um, and what it's all about?
1: Yeah, and I'll I'll start with just the quickest overview. Uh, so Venture for America is designed as a two-year fellowship for entrepreneurially minded uh, college graduates, and the idea is that across America, we have seen the best jobs and Specifically, the best startup funding opportunities are on the coasts. They're in your D.C., Washington, D.C., San Francisco, New York, Chicago, Boston. All these major areas are where any aspiring entrepreneur wants to go because that's where the funding is and that's where the opportunities are. And what Venture for America does is it takes these mid-sized cities that are really redefining themselves in the 21st century and leveraging their community networks to increase that startup structure. And it takes college graduates and places them with startups in those areas, whether it's Detroit or Baltimore, uh, whether it's Cleveland or Birmingham. Uh, We have New Orleans, you have uh, some people that Tried out Kansas City. There's, there's, I think, fourteen different cities that are involved. Most of which have seen declining populations or uh, limited access to startup funding. So, what does a fellow do? Uh, They show. Go ahead.
2: Sorry for a second. You cut out there for a second. Could you repeat that last point?
1: Uh, Starting where?
2: Kind of just just the end. you cut off for just a second.:
1: uh, Yes, yeah. so uh, you have 14 cities across the, the country that are in the process of redefining themselves in the 21st century. And whether that's Detroit or Baltimore, um, Birmingham, New Orleans or Cleveland, all these different cities are trying to essentially become brain magnets and for their entrepreneurial ecosystem. And Venture for America speeds that up. All, uh, all new fellows spend a month getting trained and learning a variety of skills, whether it's uh, search engine optimization, seed funding, uh, community engagement, networking skills. It's, it's a wide variety of trainings. And then we get placed with a startup for two years, learning the ins and outs, nuts and bolts from someone that, Uh, has already done it or is farther along in the experience. The idea is that when you're you're trying to learn being in an entrepreneurship class does very little compared to actually being on the ground and learning the ins and outs day after day.
2: Yeah that makes total sense because there's a lot of problems that you're just not going to know about you might be able to teach them in the classroom but until you actually have to deal with it yourself and it's right in front of you you can't really know how you're gonna respond or what decisions you're gonna make
0: but I think that's that's sorry to cut you off Evan I think that's a very important point though as is the the idea of contribution to the small and mid-sized cities in this country we you hear this term get thrown around a a lot the forgotten America and the forgotten America they are coming from the small and mid-sized cities, small-town America, where they feel like they are left out from the party, where you know there is immense progress, immense wealth being had and made on, in cities like San Francisco, where we're out in. We see this firsthand out in New York, in D.C., L.A., you name it. Um, and I, I love how it, uh, the Venture for America is targeting these small and mid-sized cities to kind of help uplift, you know, um, these places that have, uh, been struggling
1: because of this. Um, I know a a lot of the, to, to jump in, a lot of the focus is saying that many of these cities, uh, never truly struggled. They just didn't get the gains. And what you see is a resilient people that stay in these cities and are working day in and day out, but because the odds are stacked against them, because the money isn't flowing there, they just have less opportunities. And so we uh, very much like to say that this, this isn't a um, revamping of the cities because the cities themselves, the people there were strong the whole time through. Uh, It's just evening the playing field and bringing some of the, the opportunities there as well.
2: For sure, um, I guess the last kind of thing that I wanted to talk to you about and ask you about would be your current campaign involvement. Mm-hmm. Um, I know this is there's two things I actually wanted to ask you about. Um, I know you are you campaign in your home state of South Carolina, which you said, uh, but you talked about driving around in your Yang mobile. Um, <laughs> I want to hear a little bit more about that.
0: Yes,
1: I've been I've been meaning I wanted to ask that too. That's awesome. That, that makes it sound so much nicer than what it is. (laughs) (laughs) It is little more than a Jeep Wrangler that is decked out in neon car paint. Uh, And I think more, more bumper stickers than exist in uh, any single town across America. There's (laughs) just a a loaded up vehicle uh, designed to pull as many eyes as possible and uh, yeah, you can't help but drive by and just think. You know what? Maybe I should Google that Andrew Yang guy. I was
0: going to say, what What has the response been? Have you gotten any like honks or waves or
1: uh,
2: uh,
1: a couple honks, couple waves, several several full car pile ups on the highway? You know, just uh, what, yeah, the, what you're the, really the, looking for.
0: Yeah. yeah, I think it's a testament to the strength and ingenuity of uh, the Andrew Yang supporters. Um, willing to do whatever it takes to help get the message out Um, however small it may seem it still can you know that still might catch one eye and Mm -hmm. that one eye might uh, you know go make a donation or might look into it and then start talking to their friends and then the snowball begins Um, I know that's how our podcast got started it was you know we well, we first heard Andrew Yang on Joe Rogan and then we started furthering, exploring his policies and his activities. And he came out to San Francisco and we saw him and uh, it was, yeah, it just became like a uh, snowball kind of just, just going down and and getting bigger.
2: Yeah. Um, So so talk about for the second part of that, talk about your current campaign involvement, what it consists of when you volunteer, what the response has been and how kind of you see things proceeding?
1: Yes. Uh, so South Carolina is an early primary state. Uh, we go after it. It's in order the Iowa caucus, New Hampshire, Nevada, and then South Carolina. And what makes us extremely unique and so pivotal is that we are the first majority-minority Democratic voting bloc. So it's the first test of a candidate's ability to really engage and uh, and pull a diverse well, set
2: majority minority candidate voting block explain that
1: yes <laughs> uh so uh so it means that over 50% of the democratic primary voters in South Carolina are not white and oh. and so uh it's, it's not to disparage our friends in the other states but this is the, the first true test of a candidate's ability to not just poll well within a diverse background of demographics, but to also turn those polling into votes. And so in the past, during primaries, you have seen South Carolina be a major turning point. And this is one of the reasons why, especially in the Democratic primary, where overall we have such a, a diverse background. Um, and so with with that in mind the strategies for engaging people across the state are very important whether it's uh it's unifying the main gang gangs in some of the cities like uh for for greenville uh columbia charleston myrtle beach whether it's expanding canvassing opportunities uh increasing the phone banking which is extremely important, we're we're a very rural state outside of our significant urban hubs. And so every phone call that a a volunteer phone banker makes is going to people that oftentimes don't have internet access and aren't able to get connected. Um, So we're, the, the whole idea with this campaign, especially in South Carolina, is to be as diverse as possible and engaging. So you go to college campuses, you do the phone banking, you do the canvassing at uh, major football games or uh, city events and just rally as many people as possible. And the trick that I found, uh, and I actually uh, heard this from one of the uh, leaders over in Atlanta, is you have to shift to Google Andrew Yang as opposed to Yang 2020. At this stage, so many people uh, are just turned off to the idea of politics. And it's such an overwhelming thing. We're gonna have 19 different democratic primary debates. It's a hectic mess with way too many candidates. And a lot of people I've met on the ground have been overwhelmed by it. And so what we've shifted to is this idea of don't vote for him. Don't feel like you have to commit to him. Don't feel like you even have to sign up right now. All I want you to do is go home and Google Andrew Yang. And that's, that's been one of the most effective things I've ever seen.
0: And I agree with that. That's really all it takes. I mean, speaking again from personal experience. You just look the guy up and you start reading into him, reading into what he has to say. And it kind of catches you pretty quick and not, of course the $1,000 a month is an attractive kind of, uh, you know, causes your ears to perk up, but then you, you kind of delve a little bit deeper as, to where that's coming from. What does he mean by that? What are his additional policies? And going back to what you said about like um, appealing to such a diverse group of people, I think uh, ties back to his idea of um, humanity first. It's just like he seems to understand um, certain things about the shift in the labor force and where that's taking us. And he's trying to jump out ahead of that and wants to ensure that um, everyone is involved in this evolution, in the workforce and in the country itself.
2: I, uh, yeah. I had one thing that, that we wanna ask to every, every interview that we do, because <laughs> basically everybody we're bringing on is, uh, is already a Yang supporter, but here's the question what is your favorite Andrew Yang policy? Is it democracy dollars? Is it the freedom dividend? Do you have a favorite?
1: Uh, so I think the the policy that would have the biggest impact and the one that I think is the most clever in its design is the democracy dollars. And so uh, the, the idea right now is that so much lobbying money is going through uh, Washington DC, that the average person has less of a vote less of a say in America whether it's citizens united or early earlier policies that have built up over time money is speech money is power and money can buy speech and power and the structure of it the the current design that we have in congress is limiting you, there's no way that we can actually push money out of politics so what we can do and andrew was very clever in how i designed this is instead of just trying to completely pull away the corporate money that goes in we wash it out through people-funded elections and the idea of democracy dollars is that you give a hundred dollar voucher to every single american voter use it or lose it it's a voucher it's not actually a hundred dollars so uh if you don't use it it's It just disappears. And those $100 you can give to any candidate that you support, which means, let's say, um, a candidate is getting pressured from a big oil group. And they're saying, we need you to pull back on some of these regulations. We want to uh, grow as quickly as possible. And we don't want you to stifle us with your clean air acts. Um, well that candidate's probably going to listen to them, and that lobbying group is bringing in say four million dollars well you add a bunch of democracy dollar driven donations from thousands of people across the u.s that four million dollars can easily get washed out by five million from the people and when you have that it shifts the entire dynamic it allows uh Money to no longer be the driving force, so that what the people actually want can happen. the The, the major issues that you're seeing, whether it's ranging from uh, the debate around gun rights to uh, debate around abortion to debate around climate change, the people overwhelmingly, the majority of them support policies that are not getting enacted right now because big money is spending against it. And that needs to stop.
2: I, uh, I couldn't agree more. So we're about to be out of time here. Um, is there anything else that you would kind of want to add or any messages that you want to get out, out to the Yang, to the uh, Yang listeners? <laughs> yes. So I
1: am, uh, trying to get as involved as possible and, if anybody's interested in learning more about my experience, uh, you can find me on Reddit under wholesome Tom. Uh, yeah, you gotta be a nice guy. gotta yeah, be, gotta be a nice guy.
0: Yeah. Tom's yeah. a Nice guy. He's a nice
1: guy. Everyone. <laughs> yeah. Humanity first. That's all I'm saying. Be wholesome, stay wholesome, wholesome Tom. Uh, you can find me at, uh, Greenville Yang gang or, uh, tom.jeffrey at scyanggang.com, and the big final push I'd say is uh, please actively phone bank as an early state that people are calling it makes a tangible difference I've actually encountered people that have participated in some of these phone calls and were open to a candidate they would have not heard of otherwise so it is by far the most important thing you can do Host those phone banking parties. If you've got 30 minutes, get on. It's a surprisingly easy process. And if you're worried about it, hey, reach out to me. I'm happy to get you on board.
0: Right on. Well, thank you very much, Tom, for uh, giving us your time and your responses. Um, Thank you all. And yeah, we had a great time. Evan, do you want to add anything to it?
2: Um, I just wanted to say thank you as well Um, as this keeps going on. Maybe we can have you on again. If not, definitely stay in touch with us. Um, And yeah, you, you know where we are. Um, You can follow us on Twitter at Yang gang podcast. Um, But yeah, thank you so much for being on with us. We, uh, we hope to have you on again and uh, let's wrap it up the way we always do.
0: It's It's not left. It's not right. It's forward. forward. It's forward. (laughs) All right, guys. All right, Tom, it was a pleasure. Take care, oh, buddy. Y'all take care. All right, bye bye.